All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Advice for Life. I am excited to explore this with you. Um, Yaakov, could you grab a few napkins? Thanks, and bring them up. Okay, so I'm excited to get back to this conversation um, with you guys. Um, and I want to begin with a story slash joke. You're supposed to be surprised that we start with a joke, right? All right, so the story goes like this. There are two brothers. One brother is a rabbi. The other brother is a garbage collector. Two brothers. The father passes, their father passes away. And now, as sometimes happens, there's a dispute over the inheritance. The rabbi, one brother's claiming it, the other brother's claiming it. It's not clear who gets it. So they go in front of the rabbinical court. The rabbi says, look, he argues his case. He says, look, I'm the rabbi. I'm respected. It should go to me. And the other brother says, are you kidding me? Look at Yichus. You guys know what Yichus is? Yichus is, um, what would be a good translation of Yichus? Like lineage or, uh, not really. It's more of like the family. Look at the illustriousness of the family. Uh, says the other brother. He says, look, my brother is a rabbi. His brother is a garbage collector. You got to be kidding me. All right. I, I know I, I interrupted that joke with an explanation. I hope it still landed. One more line that I love sharing. I've shared it before in other contexts. Um, anyone who says they don't believe in ghosts has never been to a family reunion. Right? That is the other anecdote about this. Today's topic is, as you may have mentioned, as you may have uh, realized, and I'm sure you've, you're aware of this, today's topic is all about the family, all about family and our closest relationships. So to kind of reset, to reset the agenda for this course, to reset the course objectives, this course is called Advice for Life, and the course presents brilliant Torah wisdom and Jewish wisdom on the biggest issues, the biggest questions that come up in life related to work, wealth, family, relationships, health, wellness, mental health, emotional health, anxiety, challenge, adversity, um, resilience, spirituality, meaning, and purpose. All in six weeks. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Biggest questions, biggest topics, biggest areas of life, and clear Brilliant wisdom. As you know from last week, the wisdom that we're sharing is all Jewish wisdom and Torah wisdom, but as framed and as shared by the Lubavitcher Rebbe of blessed memory, a man who for over four decades, I don't know if there's anyone else that was asked so many questions. I bet not even dear Abby. What was the other one? What was her sister? Help me out here. Ann Landers. What was she called? Dear Ann? No. Dear Ann. They were sisters. They were Jewish. What was first? Did you know that there was some beef? Do you guys know this? I heard a podcast about this. That makes me very knowledgeable on the issue. Because when you listen to a podcast, you become an expert. I'm a podcast expert on this, uh, on this family feud. So anyway, back to the story. You know, I, I, made the jo- I said the joke before about the brothers who have a little conflict. Anne and Abby, not their real names, by the way, at all. I don't know who was first, but they both kind of got into writing. But then the one who started was, you know, eclipsed by the other one who came. I don't know, it was like a whole situation. But the point, of the, the point of this is that the Rebbe got so many questions about real life issues. And the Rebbe's advice is so brilliant, so clear, so on point that that is what we are covering throughout this series. So last week we spoke about work. Last week we spoke about 
the, um, uh, the, really the framework of how we can look at work. What is work? What is wealth? Is that a good thing or not a good thing? We explained the Reb's unique perspective on work and wealth, that work is holy. Why is work holy? Number one, it gives us the platform in which we fulfill our life's mission of making a difference in the world. You can't make a difference in the world if you're not in the world. Where are we in the world when we're at work? That's a major area that we're in the actual world, number one. Number two, we have incredible number of interactions with people that we wouldn't ordinarily have interactions with. And in that context, we can have a tremendous impact on individuals. Make a Kiddush Hashem, sanctify God's name, i.e. be an example of a mensch, of what a good Jew is, etc. So there are so many Beautiful benefits of work. Of course, we have the ability to earn money that we can then translate into tzedakah and give gifts, uh, give tremendous blessings and be a blessing to many worthy causes. Um, We then learned last week that because work is inherently a holy activity, so um, therefore it should be infused with holiness. When we work, we should trust in God that things are successful, we should uh, do our best to observe Shabbat and rest and not work on Shabbat, infuse our day, our work day with Torah study, even for a few minutes, and of course, act on uh, the value that we mentioned just a moment ago, which is to actually give tzedakah. These are not just good deeds, as we explored them last week. We call them spiritual life hacks to, 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 to generate wealth and blessing. That sounds like a clickbait YouTube video. Spiritual life hacks to generate wealth and blessings in your life. But... That's what we said last week. This week, we punch out, we punch the clock. Punch the clock, is that the expression? Yeah, punch used to be. Who does that anymore? We punch the clock, bam, and we head out of the office and head to the home front. Today we talk about our family, our deepest and closest and most important relationships. And the truth is that the closer the relationship, oftentimes the more difficult it is. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. What does it say? Familiarity breeds uh, contempt. If not contempt, it certainly can breed friction. This is true whether we're talking about spouses, parents, and children, siblings. We're all in relationships or we've all been in relationships. Everyone that's here has been a child. I'm assuming you didn't start off as an adult, right? Everyone here has been a child, which means... You had a relationship with a parent or two. Um, if you're a parent, then you have a relationship with children. If you are not a, an only child, you have siblings that you've dealt with. And if you're married or were married, you have a spouse or have had that opportunity to engage in a marital relationship. The point of this is that we're all in relationships or have been in relationships that are very, that perhaps ought to be very close or that are very close and yet can sometimes be very strained. And so what we're going to look at today is guidance and advice about how to build strong, healthy families, how to unite the family unit into a true unit, into a true, um, I don't know, I'm going to use like a modern term, squad. Is that a modern term? Squad? To a squad that can take on any challenge from without and from within. Family members that work together as opposed to working against each other. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Imagine. Imagine, can't we all just get along? Um, to quote the... Uh, anyway, so the point, is, the point of this is that today we're going to look at how to bring our relationship, how to make our relationships healthier and more vibrant and closer than ever before. We're going to address a number of questions and issues and areas of 
concern. And here's just a sampling of, of the issues that we're going to address today. Number one, why is family important? Maybe it's not important. Maybe we can replace it with TikTok today. Maybe. I'm arguing. Maybe. How do we know? So why is family truly important? Number one. Number two, what are the key elements to building a strong and vibrant family? Number three, how can we strengthen our relationships in a society that perhaps de-emphasizes family and emphasizes other values? And what are things that we can do right now? I'll use the same phrase, spiritual, maybe not spiritual, practical life hacks, or maybe spiritual life hacks to strengthen our families, to bring, them, to bring our family members closer together today. So we're going to address these items and much more in this lesson. Today's class takes part in four acts. Act one, growth mindset. Act two, the parent trap. Who remembers that movie? Wasn't that great? That was the twins? No, the old one. Really? What was the one with the girl? She was a twin, right? Bringing her, what was it? Bingo. That's it. That is it. It got redone. Was that with Lindsay Lohan? Was that that? Okay. I never saw that one. That was, that was past my prime. My prime was like 80s, 90s. That was like, that was my sweet spot. After that, all bets are off. Um, <laughs> All right, so we have growth mindset, parents have act three is holy family, and act four is God is in the details. All right, we got a lot to get to. Let's begin. So uh, what do we use typically? This is a quick question for y'all. What do we use when we want to depict the family? We want to kind of visually display family members and generations. What do we call that visual display? A family? Tree. There we go. Well, portrait could also work, but I was looking for tree. Tree is the, today, tree is the correct answer. Why do we call it a family tree? I'm glad you asked. Now, I think it's because, like a, like a tree, families branch out, right? You start off with, you know, one or two people, and then it branches. And, you know, please God, right? Branches, 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 like a tree. It grows, it blossoms, it branches. But I think there's way more to that. Oh, I think there's more, right, so I want to go, I want to dig a little deeper, all puns intended today, I want to dig a little deeper into that imagery of a family tree and the meaning of the word tree. So as a tree needs strong roots, that is the key to a tree's survival. We were talking, Eve, Eve and I were talking about our respective peach trees, um, mine back in the old, the old country, Virginia Highlands, yours right here in the, in the hood. Um, and we were, we were, I don't know, commiserating, recalling, and both about some years the peaches come in good, some years not so good, right? Some years there's a, it's amazing, some years it's not so amazing. But the key to a tree, look, I'm a poet. The key to a tree really are the roots. Obviously it needs, you know, as we'll discuss, it needs other things, but it's got to have strong roots. A family needs a strong foundation. We'll talk about that today. What else does a tree need? A tree needs water, a oh, soil. Yes, yeah, soil. It needs abundant water. It needs sunlight. It needs nutrients. It needs, by the way, there's a, there's a great line. This is off topic, but it's so on topic. I'm sure we'll figure out a way how to connect it. Um, uh, so fruit is a scam. You guys know this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fruit is a scam, huh? No, 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 no. The whole concept of fruit is a scam. Think about it. One second, I'll, I'll explain. So it's a scam perpetrated on us by trees. So here's, here's how this, you with me? Here's how it works. Yes, thank you. So the way it works like this, the tree wants more trees, right? Everything wants to reproduce. Everything wants more of itself. The problem is trees can't move. 
So if the baby tree grows up in it, then it's going to just be, it can never get out of the house if it grows up here. So what does it do? So it takes the seed, it needs the seed to go elsewhere. It wraps it in a fruit, and now animals and people are like, oh, that's great, let me just wander off and eat this thing. Meanwhile, next thing you know, boom, it's now, the, the, the seed is now, or the, right, the seed is now planted somewhere else. Hence, fruit is a scam. It's a delicious scam. <laughs> It's a delicious scam. But at the end of the day, it is God's, nature's, whatever you want to call it, way of perpetuating species and making it delicious. In other words, we're working for the trees without even knowing it. We're hustling for the trees. Now, all of that, all of that is off topic because we're talking about trees and what trees need. And like trees have all these needs to be strong and healthy, families also have these needs. Let's turn to page 30. We're going to jump right in to page 30 in your books. Okay, exercise 2.1. All right, I'm going to read this out loud. Identify attitudes, behaviors, and values that sustain and fortify harmony within a family. In other words, you know, the truth is I would have reordered it. I would have put it as behaviors, attitudes, and then values starting from bottom up. Like behaviors is, you know, what, what do you do to foster a healthy family. And then where, what drives those behaviors? What are the attitudes that drive? And then what are the values that drive the attitudes that drive behaviors? Does that make sense? I hate to get all Talmudic on this, uh, on this exercise, but I just did. So let's, let's start with behaviors. What are some behaviors in a healthy family? Strong vibe. Let's go. Respect. Respect. Good. What else? Structure. Structure. Good. What else? Honest communication. Honest communication. Good. I like how directly you said that. <laughs> kindness. Good. Kindness. What else? What's, what's at a bedrock of a healthy family? Love. I was waiting for love. I've been waiting all my life. No, I'm kidding. This is great. Love. What else? What, is, what are behaviors? Willingness. Uh, well, actually, even wanting relationships. Good. Compassion. Compassion. Good. Wanting the relationship. Compassion. Excellent. All right. Let's move up. Attitudes. Maybe we were talking about attitudes also now. Did we cross into attitudes also? Maybe we blur the lines. I don't mind blurring lines. You know. So, uh, all right. So, what are some attitudes? What are some other attitudes? Attitudes. I guess those are tolerance. Tolerance. Seeing the positive. Good. Understanding. Understanding. What are some values? What are some values that that foster strong setting good examples? I guess maybe teaching the next generation is a value, right? Like I, I want to, I want to continuation of tradition. Continuity, tradition. love that tradition, right? We can break it into a musical. You Good. The yes, I like that. Love that. Yes, love that. But you own them. <laughs> sure you do. Exactly yes. Not I, by the way, I love that, and the truth is, the last section of today's class focuses heavily on that point. How to, within the family unit, respect the individuality of each and every member. Yes. Like being each other's advocates. Mm. When, when love that. Either like when they're incapacitated and you have to be their advocate, or just being on the same team. Like sure. Throughout throughout life. Yeah. yeah. Again, this could be parents. Children, siblings, you know, and everything, and, and other relatives. Yeah, right. Like seeing, seeing ourselves as a team. Yeah. We, we stick up for each other. We advocate for each other. Good. Being your brother's keeper. Like Ooh. Defending. 
Keep on. Yes. Good. Good, good, good. Okay, these are great. So here's what I want to do. Um, these are all great ideas. Today we're going to look at um, some incredible wisdom that the Rebbe shared about family. And I, I do want to mention at the top, you know, some of the letters and correspondences that we're going to, um, you know, to examine today that, that the Rebbe wrote and shared. Some of them were directed toward family and toward relationships that were, um, let's just say, on shaky ground. People wrote in, you know, my marriage is a little shaky. I don't know what to do with my kids, etc. And the Rebbe gave advice. However, I will say that this is not only advice when things are not good. This is all, what we're going to learn today is advice to strengthen a good thing as well. In other words, the same guidance that can help pull a relationship out of maybe a negative place into a positive place can also pull a can help move or strengthen a, a good relationship and make good even better. And the truth is, the Rebbe himself wrote this in a letter um, from in 1977. Let's begin with this one. Yaakov, if you don't mind, does everyone have a copy? I'm, I'm hoping online everyone's got a copy. If not, let me know after the class. I got to get you guys, make sure that you guys have copies. I got books here. Got to make sure we get them to everybody. All right, so text number one, page 31. Yaakov, if you can read this. And again, here the Rebbe basically shares that he's not sure about what's going on you know, in the family, but either way, his advice, you know, can help. I received some information <clears throat> about the relationship at home, but, <clears throat> but I do not know to what extent it reflects the actual situation. Hence, I want to convey to you some thoughts in the light of what the relationship should be, according to the Shulchan Aruch, the Jew's practical guide to life. If the relationship is indeed in keeping with it, the purpose of this letter will be to strengthen and deepen it, as there is always room for improvement in all matters of goodness and holiness. Torah in his book. On the other hand, if it is not quite what it should be, I trust that since the Torah is surely a lamp unto your feet, you will bring it up to the desired level, and if you will do it with, and you will do it with joy and gladness of heart. So again, the Rebbe basically says, um, uh, and this is kind of the, the introduction to what he writes, which we're not reading because really it's about this introduction, where the Rebbe says basically the, the advice or the guidance, the Jewish wisdom that I'm about to share with you. Um, is classic Torah wisdom. And whether, wh whether there, there's room for a lot of improvement or whether it's just about you know, deepening and strengthening the, an already existing you know, a positive relationship, either way, th these teachings are beneficial. And so the same thing applies to this class. Again, every, you know, everyone can internalize it um, where, where you need or where you want to internalize it. So whether the relationship is good and can get better or whether... Um, they can use some corrective attention. What we learned today, I think, is going to be very powerful and very beneficial. All right, so I want to take you back to 1974. 1974, um, in the winter of 74. Now, that was it's almost exactly 50 years ago, which is wild. The Rebbe shared this on the 10th of Shvat and the 15th of Shvat, just for frame of reference. Today is the 20, 21st day of Shvat. So it's... it's um, 50 years and, I don't know, like a week. So 50 years ago, in the winter of 74, the Rebbe delivered two public addresses, two public talks, about the status of family in what then was, of course, contemporary society. And the Rebbe shared that he was a bit concerned about the lack of cohesiveness within the family unit. So let's read um, how the Rebbe expresses this kind of, uh, you know, this concern about, about the, the trend of families 
in 74 in text number two. Um, Mindy, please read this one, page 33, text two. One of the elements crucial for any nation, especially the Jewish nation, is the preservation of the family unit. Unfortunately, this institution has been utterly neglected. The focus on the family unit is lacking, somewhat or significantly, even among those who genuinely try to follow a Torah lifestyle. They set aside time for Torah study, fulfill mitzvot meticulously, and even act with self-sacrifice to influence Jews who are spiritually disengaged. Yes, the father, mother, and children are walking a single path, the path of Torah and mitzvot. Nevertheless, they do not walk this path as a family. We readily observe the regrettable effects of the father, mother, sons, and daughters living in four distinct worlds. Yeah, so here, thank you. So here the Rebbe basically shares, I, I, I personally think this is a family, this is a family, this is a, it's a, it's a um, powerful point. He says, let's talk about a family that they're, you know, plugged in Jewishly, doing Jewish things. They're even um, helping others. You know, the way he says is, um, he describes it as, um, one second, one second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even act with, right, even act with self-sacrifice to influence Jews who are spiritually disengaged. In other words, these are individuals, it's a family that is involved in, you know, in helping others and reaching out to others and, 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 and you know, reaching out. It's not just a self-absorbed, you know, self-absorbed. These are people that are, that are you know, looking to, to engage with others and help others. And yet, what the Rebbe says is, it's possible that, so goes on, that, that, the, that, these, that the family members are each doing their own thing individually, but not walking that path, even though they're all walking the path, but they're not walking the path as a family. And thus, they are drifting apart slowly, slowly. So maybe initially it's not going to seem like they're drifting that far apart, but over time there may be a larger, a larger breach. And I think that, um, that this is, a, again, a, a, a bit of a... Um, of, of a of a unique perspective. And I wanna, I wanna also just point out that this was, remember, this was 1974. This is before cell phones. This is before the internet. This is before Instagram, Spotify, and TikTok, and Snapchat. This is before all of those things that really helped isolate people from each other, even within the same family, even sitting at the same table. So this is well before all that. And yet, even then in 74, 50 years ago, the Rebbe was saying how he's noticing a trend where, you know, families, again, it's, it's, I, I wouldn't call this, and I use this term very carefully, I wouldn't call this, at, by any stretch of the imagination, the, the family that the Rebbe describes, a dysfunctional family. On the contrary, this is, he's describing a family, they're studying Torah, they're doing mitzvot, they're involved in, in Jewish outreach. It seems great. It seems like, you know, the perfect picket fence as a word Jewish family, and yet, the Rebbe says, here's the question. And it's not a question for anyone else to judge. It's an internal question. Are y'all walking the path together as a family or as individuals, maybe walking, you know, side by side, but are you walking that together or are you walking it individually? And that, that slight distinction is going to make all the difference in the world as to how co cohesive the family unit is. You know, and, and what was it happening in 74? I don't know. I wasn't around then. So slightly before my time, but I will say this, you know, maybe, maybe it was the advent of technology. Maybe it was, you know, television and radio and the movies and automobiles. And I don't know, what was it? What was pulling people? Over? I don't know. 
I get, uh, rock and roll. Rock and roll. <laughs> Those kids, in, you call that music? What? <laughs> yeah, who knows what was going on? Who was, who was big in 74? Whatever. The point is that, 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 or maybe it's just the individualistic, individual, sorry, maybe it's the American streak of individualism. Right and the and the the power of you know the individual. It's all about the individual and individual identity and personal autonomy. Maybe that's what is manifest, right? You know, and look, no one's advocating uh, you know socialism and, and that sort of thing. Obviously, that's not that's not what this is about. The point is that how strong, how unified is the family unit, right? In a culture that values. The individual spirit, the entrepreneurship, right? That that type of, you know, individual type of uh, of 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 go get him spirit. How strongly do we value family, and how strongly do we work together as a family, as opposed to living under the same roof, but really living different lives? I think anyone that's been in a family, we're all. In, in a family, right? So I think we can all relate to that, of living under the same roof, and yet maybe living different lives. And the Rebbe was trying to gently suggest that we think about how we can be more on the same page. How can we be more, um, more cohesive? Now, what, is, what are the challenges of living separate lives? Maybe that's fine. Maybe there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, so one thing is competition, right? One thing is competition. Another thing is a sense of, you know, diminished emotional support for each other. If we're all living separate lives, then how much room do I have for your problems? I got my own problems and they're not the same problems because we are, you know, we're, we're, we're living our individual lives. It can also foster, and again, this is, you know, speaking about parents and children, this isn't, you know, by no means the intention of the parents, but creating, you know, a, a family, and, and it really is creating because at the end of the day, we can't just say our family happened. We, we create as parents, as the adults, and, you know, and, and we create the, um, you know, the, the, the mood and the style of the family. And at the end of the day, are we creating a family in which, um, you know, individuals in the family feel uh, like they have each other or do they feel isolated and lonely, right? That's, that's the danger of living separate lives under the same roof is, and you might not know that someone feels lonely and they may not tell you that they feel lonely. The question is, do they have some sort of feelings of loneliness and, and isolation? Um, this idea of living separate lives can also engender you know, or, or, or weaken communication, where communication is not as strong as perhaps it should be, which then uh, leads to misunderstanding and mistrust and conflict. So th these are all real concerns, and this is what the Rebbe was discussing in 1974. And of course, in the last 50 years, I don't think this has gotten any better. In the contrary, I think it's, it's, it's become more of a challenge of families not necessarily being fully, fully on the same page together as a unit. So how do we deal with this concern? Right? It's one thing to talk about the challenges, but it's far more I think far more important to talk about some solutions. So the way the Rebbe framed this, he said that the key is a perspective or our perspective. You see, behaviors, as I mentioned before, are driven by attitudes, which are driven by values, which means that if we have our values and perspectives in the right place, that can help lead 
to um, the sh- a shift in behavior and a shift in the reality of things on the ground, which means that the rebel was trying to address things at the core. Right? The core of the issue is um, the value that we place, the importance that we place on family and having that type of bond. Is that very important or is that something that I've never even thought about as being important? Like maybe I never thought that that was actually a thing that I should work toward. I thought it was cool that everyone lives together. We do our thing. We, 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 we check back in in the evenings or not. And, you know, everyone's doing their own thing. It's great. We're all entrepreneurs here. If we value family and that cohesiveness, then we will put, you know, then the wheels will go into motion. The key is, on the value level, do we identify that as being a priority that we're working toward? Yeah. So some influences going on in the 70s were from the 50s to 60s. In the 50s, the parents were roles. They were just playing parts. They were actors. You have, you're, you're the housewife. You're the breadwinner. And then in the 60s, it was kind of like, uh, you know, uh, give them their freedom, as well as Dr. Spock um, was a famous child psychologist. He says, do not discipline your children effectively. In other words, don't hit them. So in other words, parents were afraid to discipline their kids. And then they, they were afraid of confronting their kids. So the kids became wild. And uh, there was a lot of discipline. But I think also that um, they were doing their own things. I mean, you know, we were going to, uh, boys were playing football, girls were, going, girls were going to dancing class, and we were, we were running around with our own separate. It was just like now, but without cell phones. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it's interesting. I, 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 that's, it's beyond my scope to know all of the factors that go into this. I hear what you're saying. I, I think, I think, the, um, I think the, uh, the scenario, that the, the picture that the Rebbe is painting in uh, 1974, 50 years ago about you know, people, everyone's doing good things, but they're living essentially separate lives. I think that resonates. That resonates deeply. And, and it, it can resonate in a way of a person saying, I, well, is that even, is that, is that not good? Maybe that's fine. But the rebel was saying that there's, there's, there's another model, and the model is where there is a cohesiveness. And that begins with appreciating the value of that very cohesiveness, appreciating the value. So, um, that's what the Rebbe spent a lot of time in his public addresses, letters, and personal communications about emphasizing the importance of family. So um, what I want to show is our first lesson video. And we have four lesson videos today. Last week we had eight, to put it into perspective. One of them is actually quite long, but we are going to show some videos. So um, this video is the Rebbe impressing upon people the tremendous beauty and value of family. Oh, Yaakov, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Let me get this loaded up. And here we go. Let's see if this works. Rabbi Yitzhak Meir Barari is Mashbia of Lubavitcher Yeshiva in Montreal. His father, Rabbi Zalman Barari, was a devoted chassid and a financial supporter of the Rebbe's work. At the same time, it was sort of My father did business in overseas with big rich people. Rashad, who was in charge of the yeshiva, asked my father that when he goes over there, he should take him along and introduce him to those people who should raise money for the yeshiva. My father says, okay, I'll do it on one condition. You get the rabbit to promise me that if we're successful, 
he'll give me a bracha for, for whatever I ask for. So he went to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe said, okay, you made a deal. Came, so they did it, and went to them, and they were very successful. When they came back, so my father told the Ashaq, don't get, uh, so he went to the Rebbe, and, and the Rebbe said, okay, tell them to come in. Came in, so he asked the Rebbe, what do you want? So the Rebbe asked him, what do you want? I told him, what, what do you want? My father had a, a problem, a big business problem. I said, I'm proud of myself. What? He needed a nest. He wanted my brother that he should be a, have his nest. So the Rebbe said, Tell me this. You have a chance to always bet nuts for the hills. The Eshke Zach Batman and the Rebbe Nachs for Kinder. And the Kinder is all designed for the Kinder and always works the same that I'm going to do. So my father says, I'm going better than I don't know if he has to give a more of a business need that I don't know, but my father reads uh, very often. I do remember sometimes, I don't know if it's transcribed, but if I have such a memory, recollection, that the Rebbe once by Fabrain mentioned that he uses. The Rebbe uses very often So it's with a deep left. Born and nachis for children is much more important than even gizund. And Panosa is the third. The Rebbeson loved the Rebbe with all her heart. I mean, the Rebbe loved the Rebbe. First of all, he always showed a great concern for her. And he was always telling me, please go after this visit immediately to the Rebbeson to reassure her that things are okay because she's always so worried. And vice versa, the Rebbeson just had such a great admiration and respect for her. Her, the, the Rebbe cherished his private tea party with the Rebbe said, the Rebbe said that he equates the importance of the tea party with his wife on a daily basis with the necessity to put on film. Okay, so um, I feel like I should explain some of those videos. It's very cool. So the first video was from, I think my wife's cousin or uncle, Rabbi Gerard from Montreal. Anyway, so that he spoke about, you know, his father wanting to ask, I'm just recapping the stories, ask, he could ask whatever he wants. He asked about business. The Rebbe's like, you had one opportunity to ask and you asked about money? You asked about kids, about family. Again, the Rebbe was, was, was instilling within him a sense of priority. What's the priority in life? What's the priority? Money or family? I mean, think about it. That's, that's like, it all begins with what the priority is because we'll work toward our priorities. But it's about appreciating the value of family, the value of the kids. So that's one thing. Then the second story that you saw in the video was uh, Dr. Ira Weiss. So he was the Rebbe's cardiologist 
when the Rebbe had a heart attack. He had a heart attack in 1978. Um, and so Dr. Weiss treated the Rebbe and was very much involved with his physical health and care. And he got to know the Rebbe and the Rebbe's wife, the Rebbe By the way, the, Rebbe, the Rebbe's wife's yard site, Rebbe Chaim Mushka, is tomorrow, tonight and tomorrow. So it's, I think it's beautiful that we saw that video today on the Erev of, of her yard site. Of course, Rebbe Chaim Mushka, Chaim Mushka Children's House is named after her, CMCH is named after the Rebbe's wife. So um, here's the point of that. The Rebbe used to have tea with his wife every day. No matter what was going on, they had an appointment for tea. And the Rebbe told his doctor that that tea is as important to me, as precious as putting on tefillin every day. No, having tea with your wife is not a biblical commandment. <laughs> but the point that the Rebbe was, was expressing is that it's so precious, right? It's, it's as dear to me like a biblical commandment, like one of God's 613 mitzvot in the Torah. And it's beautiful. And then you saw, you know, the, the, Rebbe, the videos of the Rebbe speaking. I, I think one guy was speaking French. Yeah. yeah. The Rebbe knew many languages. Even if he didn't speak in that language, the Rebbe spent time in France um, in the 40s. Okay. So, um, you know, this video is, is expressing a little bit about the value and the importance of family, whether it's a parents to children, whether it's spouse to spouse, all of the above, all family relationships are dear, are, are dear and precious. Um, I want to show you also, well, let's, let's look and let's read this inside. Text number three. So in 1974, in that talk where the Rebbe pointed out how, you know, the challenge of modern families kind of drifting apart slightly, the Rebbe then, in that very talk, again, in, in the winter of 74, 50 years ago, emphasized the value of families. So let's read this. Text number three. Who are we up to? Did you, Mindy, you read, right? Deborah, please read text number three, Counting Families. When God counted the Jewish people, in addition to the census of the entire nation, equaling 603,550, the Torah emphasizes and repeats that its members were counted according to their families to the houses of their fathers, meaning they were counted as family units. Thank you. So... What the Rebbe is emphasizing here, well, he's saying that the Torah is emphasizing that the Jewish people were not just counted as individuals, they were also counted as family units, which means, you know, what's the whole point of, of, the, of the census? You know, it's not like God didn't know how many Jews there were. God probably knew that, knew that number without counting. Counting is an expression of love. It means I, I value you. You count, right? When you count something, you have a collection of, I don't know, baseball cards or whatever it is, and you go through each one, you're counting your It's like counting cards. I know that means something else in poker. But like, right, so when you're, when you're, you're taking note of it, means you value it. The Jews were, were counted not just as individuals, but according to, but, but within their family units, which emphasizes the value of family. There's a beautiful text, text four. I love this text that speaks about how members of the family are representative of the divine name, uh, God's four-letter name, the Yudke Vavke. And yes, it talks about a very specific scenario with a, a, a husband and a wife and a son and a daughter. The point of all this is to express just how beautiful and precious families are. Eve, please take it away, text number four. The Torah's mystical teachings strongly emphasize the importance of the family unit. 
The minimum requirement to fulfill the mitzvah to be fruitful and multiply is to give birth to a son and a daughter. <coughs> Kabbalah and Hasidut explain that this is hinted at in the name of God, spelled with the letters Yud and He, followed by Bob and He. The Yud corresponds to the father, the first He to the mother, the Vav alludes to the male child, and the final He to the daughter. A family with all four elements, father, mother, daughter, and son, is a complete representation of the divine name. It, it follows then that just as the four letters of the divine name, when inscribed together as a word, become a unique entity, God's personal name. So the individuals of the family are fundamentally transformed into a new existence when they become a family unit. Thank you. So isn't that a beautiful teaching? It's a beautiful teaching. It's a powerful teaching. And, and by the way, I have to give, I, 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 maybe not everyone knows this, but I, I probably should share this. The Rebbe and the Rebbetzin didn't have any children. They were not blessed with children. And, and, and yes, there are spiritual ways uh, you know, we, we talk about spiritual children as well. Our good deeds are our spiritual legacy and our spiritual children. And that, and that is, is, is valuable. But the Rebbe here is speaking about, on a, on, a, on a practical level, the cohesiveness of a family, how every individual is whole, every member of the family is holy. But put together, right, it's even more holy. But that requires that togetherness. That requires that cohesiveness. Again, the Rebbe was emphasizing in, in noting the challenge in 1974, the Rebbe's solution was to talk about the importance of family. Not about, okay, here's what you need to do, but let's, let's revisit the value. Because the more you feel the value, the more you'll be motivated to do something. If you're not motivated to do anything, then all the life hacks in the world are not going to take because, because you're not that motivated. So it's all about, it's all about the motivation. Elaine, please read text number five, which talks about um, God's presence within the family unit. In communicating his directive to build a holy temple, God stated, Build for me a temple, and I will dwell within them. Our sages know that anomaly, anomaly that the verse says, within them, the Jewish people, instead of within it, the temple. This informs us that God wishes to dwell not only in his temple, but also within each of us. In truth, God's dwelling within us is not a secondary objective, but the primary objective of this directive. For if God's primary home were the temple, the Torah should have stated clearly that God would reside within it, while at the same time finding a way to hint at the concept that God also dwells within us, Instead, the reverse is the case. The Torah states openly, I will dwell in them, indicating that this is the primary objective. The opening of the verse, build for me a temple, is simply the method by which the primary goal of dwelling within the Jewish people can be achieved. Where is the physical location of God's dwelling among us in a home where father, mother, sister, and brother form a cohesive family? So thank you. There's like this whole buildup and this analysis and really that last paragraph, that one, that two lines in that third paragraph, that's the key of this. But the, the buildup is, the Torah says, um, build for me a, a, a sanctuary, a temple, and I will dwell within them. Who's the them? The people. Why not it? Because it's God really wants a relationship with us. Yeah, there's a building also, but God really wants, at the end of the day, it's about God having a relationship with us. 
But the kicker is that last line. Where is the location of God's dwelling? Yes, it's within us individually, but it's primarily within a home that, that, is a, that, is a, that is a cohesive family unit. In other words, a home and a family and relationships that, are, that have that type of integrity, that are whole. Because if you think about it, you know, this is about bringing heaven to earth. It's about our relationship with God. To hold that relationship, it also implies that we are whole, that we have a vessel that is whole to contain that. And what is a whole vessel? A whole vessel is a vessel that in which there is peace and love and harmony uh, that reign within our relationships and not that discord that, uh, that could break things apart. Yeah. So the Rebbe didn't have kids. So, Correct. Um, it, you know, we, we wouldn't say that the Rebbe is incomplete or that him and his wife are incomplete because they had millions of children. Correct. And then uh, Correct. some of us are single. And Correct. Some people are orphans. Right. So, you know, there's there's a lot of yes. non one two three four Correct. that are out there. So Correct. Them is also, I mean, I dwell in them. That's each individual human. Correct. So yes. Still in yes. Them. And I think what it means is not exclusively a family that has a number of people in it because. You know, even if you think about it, even someone that has children, the children move off, they get married, they move out of town or whatever, wherever they go, you know, at that, would we say that, well, that's no longer a house with a family living inside and therefore that's, we're not speaking into the negative, only the positive. The positive is when we have strong, when our closest relation, and I think this is at least my takeaway, because you're exactly right. And that's why I wanted to make sure to point out that the rebel was right. We would never say, oh, the rebel was incomplete. So the point is that when our closest relationships are strong and loving and, and really, you know, there's that cohesiveness, that creates the best framework for containing the divine and the divine blessing. Um, I want to show another video now that, um, where the Rebbe speaks about the importance of raising good children. Yaakov, thank you so much for helping out with this. I got to get this camera to stop following me. I know, I know. It's like... It likes, so when I put my hand up, it should stop. Thank you. Okay. All right, here we go. Next video starts now. In 1970, Rabbi Nussan Garari and his wife set out on Shlikas, establishing the Chabad Student Center at State University of New York, Buffalo. On the first year after I was already in Buffalo. I went in with my late wife to the river and the river gave tremendous brachas. Among the things that he said was that there should be a dira betachtainem in the city of Buffalo and all the communities around. But the river ended with his holy words that the Nukuda Hapnemius from Alts, which means all the things that he blessed till now, the Nukuda Hapnemius from Alts is Chsidishanachas from the Kingdom. Which means that the river made it very clear that the most important thing 
He said already, dear Betachtainen, you would think, what could come after that? He specifically said that the Nukuda Hapnimi is for Nals, is Chassidish and Nachas from the kingdom. All right. Hasidic joy versus other joy. <sighs> Um, I don't know. (laughs) It means probably nachas in in the with joy, positivity, excitement. You ever see like the picture of chassidim? They're always dancing, (laughs) and maybe saying a little lachaim. But like, there's that joy, and I think that's that's what he means. I think so. But it's interesting. Rabbi Garari from Buffalo. Another Rabbi Garai, I'm sure the two rabbis Garari are related. Um, he says that, you know, the rabbi blessed him that he should, you know, make Buffalo a holy city, essentially. He said, but the most important thing is the children. It's just a reframing. You might be doing very holy work in the city. You might be like, you know, bring Mashiach, you know, and, and bring people back to their faith and, and inspiring Jews across the Buffalo and the surrounding cities. But... Don't forget about your kids. Don't forget about your kids. Your kids are very important. Yeah. This makes me think of like what does, you know, we often compare our relationship with God as to that of like parents and children. Yeah. So it makes me think that what God, what's the most important priority to God is not just from children, like mm. from us, like we're his children. So having. Yeah, that's beautiful. Maybe that's and maybe, and maybe that explains the previous text that we read. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's like, what does it mean that God wants a relationship with us? It's not about the building. He wants us. We're his kids. So it's like, kind of like God saying, like, I want, like, you're my kid. I love you. I want to be in a relationship with you. The best thing to, to be in that relationship is when we're like that with our kids. But it begins with the priority. Like, we care about them. We care about the relationship. And it's not just the kids. It's our parents, not just our parents. It's our spouse, not just the spouse. It's our siblings. It's it's all the close relationship. It's that type of. But I, I love I love the way you framed it. It's beautiful. All right. So again, the big idea is like this. Just to kind of recap, we just said just a few things today, but I want to make sure that it's clear before we move on to the next step. The Rebbe said that there's a trend challenge. You know, the the, the challenge of the day is that families are. You know, growing, all, everyone's doing good things, but maybe growing, uh, maybe drifting apart slightly. So the way to correct that is keep on thinking about and keep on impressing upon yourself the value of family. The more center, front and center that value is, the more we're likely to work toward bringing everyone together. And the Rebbe stated this very clearly. Take a look at a few, at a few letters that the, that the Rebbe wrote. Um, uh, text 6, and then we're going to do text 7. They're kind of similar. All right, Jessica, please read text 6 from 1970. The overriding consideration. I trust it is unnecessary to emphasize to you at length that the Jewish way of life, together with its customs, etc., is not only very significant in general, but also in every detail and in the very order of things. In light of this, it becomes obvious how important are peace and harmony between a husband and wife, since the mitzvah of making peace between a husband and wife is counted among the mitzvot whose fruits a Jew enjoys in this world, while the capital remains for the world to come. These are mentioned right at the beginning of the Siddur, together with the morning blessings, which are said even before starting the actual morning prayers, 
With this approach in mind, it will prove somewhat easier to understand that even if one party were to be completely in the right, or almost completely in the right, while the other party was completely in the wrong, or almost completely in the wrong, it would still be incumbent upon both parties to do everything in their power to restore peace and harmony. As to the situation itself, namely who is right and who is wrong, I cannot, of course, go into this, nor is it necessary in light of what has been said above. For the important thing, as already stated, is to strengthen the family ties, this being the overriding consideration. However, it would be well if you could find a mutual friend before whom both of you could unburden yourselves in a frank exchange of grievance. It is possible that an outsider, who at the same time as a friend, might see more objectively and find the best way to straighten things out, and in the soonest possible time, so that once again, peace and harmony may reign in the house. So what's clear, thank you, what's clear from this letter is that the Rebbe was addressing it to someone who was revealing uh, challenges in the marriage, in their marriage. And the Rebbe, if you look very carefully at that letter, the first paragraph, uh, the first and second paragraphs are really about the importance of Shalom Bayit. And then the Rebbe says, if that's the most important thing, then who's right and who's wrong becomes a little less, a little less central because... Now, because the overriding, the overriding value, the overarching value is shalom by peace. It's about that unity. And then the Rebbe says, ask the situation itself, who's right and who's wrong? That's, he says, less important. The most important thing is to strengthen the family ties. That's the overriding consideration. The Rebbe ends with some practical advice. Practically speaking, you might consider bringing in a, you know, a neutral third party to kind of get some clarity and guidance. That doesn't sound like super strong, like you need to do this, like this is going to help. It's more of like, if you want some advice, here's some advice. But the core of it is the value of Shalom Bayit, the value of peace. If the value of peace is truly treasured, then we can, then we can work it out. If that's not a value, then it, it's kind of like, I think, I feel like maybe somebody said this earlier in some sort of context. It's how much do you want to work it out? Right? The, the first step is wanting to work it out. Then you can figure out a way. But if you don't want to work it out, then all of the work in the world is not going to work it out. Does that make sense? And what makes you want to work it out, what can help is the, vow, the, the, the Jewish values, the Torah values of that harmony, of peace, of the importance of, of a cohesive family unit, etc. This leads us into text number seven, which is very similar. Another letter that the Rebbe wrote this time in 1976. Again, it's, an, it's a letter that was written in English, not a translation, an original letter that also mentions the same type of formula about the importance of, of peace, and then that follows with the work of peace. Diane, please read. Torah teaches us that as water reflects a face, so does one part respond to another. I see from your letter that you are willing to do everything that depends on you, that there should be shalom bias, peace and harmony in your home. And as a practical businessman, you are surely implementing this in actual practice. I am therefore confident that the above quotation from the Torah will, fulfill, will be fulfilled also in the present case. I want to take advantage of this opportunity since you have written to me to emphasize again the enormous importance of shallow bias, so much so that our Torah called Torah MS because it presents the truth, declares that when a husband and wife are worthy, they should be. 
Obviously, every effort is worthwhile to ensure God's presence in the home with all that it means in terms of his blessings, materially and spiritually. Hence, even when one thinks that one is 100% right and it pays to conciliate for the sake of peace and especially for the sake of abiding shifting as above, of the abiding shifting. There is also the assurance of our sages in such matters. Try hard and you will succeed. Thank you. I, it, it's, it's a master class in communication if, when you look at the Rebbe's letters. He starts off by saying, I'm sure you're doing everything in your power. You're a successful businessman. You know how to get things done. So certainly you are doing this. And we also have the promise of Proverbs that says, as water reflects a face, so too does one heart reflect another, which means your attitude will be mirrored in the other person. So when you come from a place of conciliation, a place of, I want to work this out, they will respond. If you stand from, I'm right, they're probably going to respond, no, I'm right. If you come in to a situation, to a conversation with, I am open to hearing, I'm open to, um, uh, what's, what's a better word than conciliating? Um, compromise, good, good, good. I'm open to you know, hearing you, etc. Then, as water reflects, unless, look, there are exceptions. You can come from the most, you know, um, uh, peaceful posture, and the other person may just be, that's possible. And in that case, it, it, then it is what it is. But the Rebbe is saying, hopefully, it will, it will be manifest, the promise of, uh, of, of our sages, of the Torah itself, scripture, that says that, that uh, one heart typically, typically reflects the other heart. So if we come from a place of conciliation, hopefully that will be reciprocated. But then in the, in the second paragraph, again, this master class of communication, the Rebbe says, just in case it's helpful, I do want to reemphasize how important this is, how important Shalom Bayes is, how important it is to have peace in the home, how that is the... That is the, um, uh, the impetus, or really the, uh, what creates the vessel for the divine presence to dwell amongst the family, how important that is. And so even, as he concludes, even when one thinks that one's 100% right, it pays to, to compromise, to conciliate for the sake of peace. Um, and try hard and you will succeed. In other words, keep on putting the effort, and please God, it will be met. Obviously, obviously, obviously. Things don't always work out as simple as, uh, as, as, as uh, you know, one, two, three. But the Rebbe's formula was always pretty consistent. The formula was, if somebody's going through some challenges and is expressing it in the hopes of getting advice, the Rebbe's advice was always like this. First and foremost, remind yourself again and again and again how important and how valuable it is to have that peace. And, and the more dear that value is, the harder you'll work at it and the more you'll be willing to be open to figuring out a way how to make that happen. On a very practical level, aside from the value, on a practical level, I do want to mention a few things that the Rebbe said and taught about this and guided. So number one, and this is really beautiful, the Rebbe advocated, again in 1974, 50 years ago in that talk, the Rebbe said, bottom line, I have some, uh, I have, I have a... Um, a suggestion. And the Rebbe's suggestion was, and I'll, I'll share before we read it in text 8, the Rebbe's suggestion was that families should strive to get together Friday nights for Shabbat dinner. A very simple suggestion. Oh, when I say simple, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm saying a very straightforward suggestion. One thing, Friday nights. Get together Friday nights as a family. And that will help start bringing hopefully, the family together. Text 8, a concrete proposal. Um, Mike, please read this one, page 42. 
One solution for this challenge is to emphasize something that is already important for other reasons. Efforts should be made to ensure that all family members come together, beginning with Friday evening and especially on Friday night when the Shabbat meal is served. Parents and children should gather in the same room, around the same table, engaging in conversation fitting for Shabbat. On Shabbat, it's easier for the family to unite because family members aren't engaged in their weekday endeavors. When the family nurtures this unity on Shabbat, it will experience unity throughout the week. The factor that unites them, cultivated during the Shabbat meal, will prevail over their differing focus areas so that the differences only complement each other. Achieving such unity within the family is not likely to occur spontaneously because the importance of the family unit has been overlooked for several years. We must acknowledge that this area demands dedicated attention and effort. Fortunately, the Talmud assures us that diligent work will yield positive results. Isn't that beautiful? Thank you. It's such a beautiful text. It wasn't like a very lofty thing, a very, it was... It's like, this is something you can do. Something you can do. Yeah, this is something you can do this weekend. It's gather everyone Friday night. And, and it's not going to be easy. He says in that second to last paragraph, achieving such unity is not likely to occur spontaneously. In other words, it requires dedicated attention and effort. Even the unity of getting together as a family is not going to be easy. Well, everyone's got things to do Friday night, right? Everyone's got a friend to go to, and everyone's got this and that or the other. The Rebbe's saying, but look, if it's a priority, and get, it all begins with the value. If it's a priority, then you'll do your best to make it happen. Now, what happens if the kids get older and then they're off? And, okay, listen, you can't solve all the problems. But at least on a, as a starting point, the value of getting together as a family, even with kids as they're older, you know, and, and they're, get, get together, bring their families over, whatever it is, get together with siblings, get together with family, get together with good friends, get together, that will help foster the bonds that tie us together. At the end of the day, Things don't happen spontaneously. Things don't just correct itself, you know, um, magically. I always liken it to tooth pain, which is the worst. But like you're feeling a pain in the tooth. It's not like, oh, I guess with time it'll get better. It never gets better. It only gets worse. Right. So just the, the reality, no, things, some things can self-correct. Like, oh, like your ankle, like you take a step. Oh, my ankle is a little wonky. Okay, by the end of the day, it might be fine. But some things typically don't spontaneously correct. This is one of those areas that it requires a real intentionality. It's like, be intentional about your Friday night meal. It's one thing, but it's so powerful. And it's so grounded in real life. The Rebbe also mentioned, I just want to point out a few things. Number one, people are a little less distracted on Shabbat. One way to make it really focused, in a positive way, not like in an intense way, is to clear it of electronic... um, uh, distractions, right? Electronic free zone. We're really going to hone in, uh, not hone in, we're really going to um, focus on each other at this meal. Notice that the Rebbe doesn't say the whole 24 hours of Shabbat. He, he doesn't say that. He says Friday night and a Friday night dinner. An hour or two. Can you give an hour or two? Can you make it happen? As the pa- I'm sure he's addressing parents here. Try to make it happen for just a few hours Friday night. Get everyone, clear away distractions, get everyone around the same table, focus, and have real meaningful conversations. Start pulling everyone into the same space. Throughout the week, we're all running in different directions. At least once a week, intentionally and mindfully, let's pull everyone together. And that will help, that, the, the residual effect will help throughout the rest of the week to continue to pull people together. 
So that was the Rebbe's advice. I also do want to mention a few other things. That in the years um, 1974-75, again, that was when the Rebbe made a big push about the family unit, 74-75, um, the Rebbe launched a series of mitzvah campaigns that have to do with strengthening the family. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty incredible. So here's, here's a few things that I want to share with you. Um, take a look. Take a look at page 46. Okay, figure 2.2. These are some home-based mitzvah campaigns that the Rebbe launched. Oh, and by the way, I, I, we, I skipped the text just in the interest of time, but I do want to point out that um, the Rebbe mentioned that the mitzvahs that we do that are associated with the home go a very long way in, um, in strengthening the home and shalom bias, peace in the home, and, and bring family members together. Why is this? Well, number for a few reasons. Number one, every spiritual, the spiritual and physical are all intertwined. So if we strengthen our spirituality in the home, then the physical relationships will also be strengthened. But there's also another level to this, and that is that when a person, when a family is living their lives with a bit of a dedication to something greater than self, like we set aside time, you can look at the chart here, I'm, we're going to go through it, but we dedicate a time each day to give tzedakah, or we dedicate some time to study Torah as a family, which the Rebbe advocated very strongly, that parents should learn with their children some Torah every day. So when we do that, it's kind of a declaration that we're not just living individual lives, but we're living lives with a higher value. It's not about my ego, it's about purpose, higher purpose. And when we're in a mode of living higher, living more selflessly, it naturally translates into healthier relationships at the same time because the, the, the greatest obstacle for relationships is ego. So ego gets in the way of relationships, but if we're living our lives in a way that is dedicated to something higher, then that can bring people together in a very strong way. So I want to go through the, the, um, uh, the, the mitzvah campaigns. Again, in the span of about a year, a little over a year, the Rebbe launched seven campaigns around the family. Campaign number one is the tzedakah campaign. Now, you might, you might think like, well, what does tzedakah have to do with the home? The Rebbe said that you should have every family, every home should have a pushka tzedakah box affixed to the wall of the kitchen. Literally. Literally drilled in or whatever it is to the kitchen. The kitchen, he said, is, a, is, a, is the space where the family get, I mean, dining room, yeah, but maybe only like for fancy meals. But the kitchen is where kind of everyone at some point hangs out. And imagine in the kitchen, if you can have a, tzedak a charity box, a tzedakah box, that would declare that this house is a house of chesed, of kindness. So that's campaign number one. Campaign number two, a home filled with holy books. Make sure that your home, make sure that even, you know, every room, of the, each of the kids' rooms has a siddur, a prayer book, a chumash, a Tehillim, you know, a book of Psalms, like core holy books. Um, three, third campaign was mezuzah on each a doorway uh, of the home that requires a mezuzah. Number four, Torah study. As I mentioned a moment ago, Torah study, the Rebbe advocated very strongly that parents should learn with their children Torah each day, a little bit of Torah, and he says also spouses should learn with each other Torah. And that will set a tremendous example for the kids, seeing their parents studying Torah together. And it works wonders for the marriage. Um, the, the next one, number, number five, 
is Shabbat and holiday candles. The Rebbe encouraged women and young girls to light Shabbat candles. Kosher, kosher in the home, elevates the home and the culinary experience. Eating, as I mentioned before, is a mainstay of the home. What do we do when we get home? We go to the fridge. Maybe not all of us, but some of us. So kosher in the home elevates the home experience. And finally, taras and mishpacha, family purity, the laws of you know, mikvah and what governs a, uh, a, a, a um, Jewish intimacy. So those laws are also very important. And that was the seventh campaign. These are all campaigns that the Rebbe launched with the, on the heels of his talk about strengthening family. These are all um, uh, mitzvahs, good deeds, spiritual activities that the Rebbe said would strengthen the family unit. So with this in mind, I want to show the next video where the Rebbe advocates, where the Rebbe advocates for... These, um, these mitzvot, some of these mitzvot. All right, here we go. Thank you. Some incredible stories. In the late 1970s, Charles Ramont had a number of audiences with the Rebbe. During one of these meetings, he asked the Rebbe about something he was struggling with. I told the Rebbe I'm having a crisis of faith. I really do not believe. Um, uh, I love Judaism. I love uh, uh, a lot of the rituals, but for me, they're nostalgic. Uh, how do I find true faith and true belief? And it's almost like we had philosophic discussions, but they were the things that were really bothering me more than should I invest in this property or should I invest in that property? And the Rebbe's responses were absolutely deep and, and incredible. Um, and they were tailor-made to me. It wasn't a system uh, that he said, you have to go into the system and you will be better. He really, I felt, was speaking to what would work for me. And he asked me, do you keep kashrut? And I said, no. Which, by the way, took a lot of guts to sit in front of the Rebbe and, and say that. It was actually a terrifying moment. But, you know, my, my relationship was based on total honesty. How can you lie to the Rebbe? He says, do you put on filler every day? I said, no. He said, so I'm going to ask you to do one thing. If I ask you to do one thing without any precondition, will you do it? I said, yes. Anything you ask me, I promise you I will do it. He says, will you and your wife agree to light Shabbat candles every Friday night while you're married? I said, done. And we worked at that point. We have never missed in half a century lighting wow. Shabbat candles. Um, my children, when they grew up, even though they went to secular schools, uh, Friday night and Shabbat, not the day of Shabbat, but Friday night was sacrosanct. Nobody went out. When my kids were teenagers, no parties. I had all kinds of business meetings, dinner invitations, you know, fun things to go do. Friday night is Shabbat, we're home. We never miss lighting the candles. And I would say that simple, simple mitzvah, um, which is one out of, you know, 500 that I'm not doing, 
has kept my family on a Jewish path throughout our lives. Shmuel Abramson works in special education and lives in Muncie, New York. As a college student in the mid-1970s, he decided to reconnect to his Jewish heritage. When I later transferred out of uh, high school because I became interested in, you know, finding the right path, and at one time I was going to come to Yeshiva in Grand Heights, at the last minute uh, I backed out, I was confused, I didn't know what to do. I ended up going to Yeshiva University. It was there that I met my uh, wife, um, and uh, my wife had come from a, uh, a modern Orthodox family, uh, and uh, we started seeing each other and growing together. When we eventually became uh, engaged, we scheduled an appointment with the Rebbe. And I didn't know how it worked. Um, I was told, put your name down on a piece of paper, put your mother's name down, that we're just going to give the Rebbe that, and the Rebbe's going to give us a blessing, that's it. But I wanted, didn't want to miss the opportunity. So, you know, some of the details uh, I don't remember exactly, but I remember that I, I, I took two pieces of paper. Mm. And what I wrote, I figured that the, the good boy and the secretary is going to collect the one and give it to the Rebbe, but I wrote on another one, Rebbe, I'd like to ask you some questions. We came in, the Rebbe looked at me, the Rebbe looked at the piece of paper, and he said, uh, you'd like to ask me some questions? And uh, the two questions I asked the Rebbe, the first one you have to realize again from where I came from and what I was, uh, grew up with, I asked the Rebbe, even though I had in mind more than uh, I had mind the drug experience of, of other drugs, but it, it was capsulized. I asked the Rebbe, I said, I have two questions. One is marijuana, a legitimate means to religious consciousness. Okay. And the second question was, I said, how do I and my uh, Kala uh, achieve compatibility? I said, I said these words, I said, my lifestyle in the past was beyond our wildest nightmares. Mm. And how do we achieve compatibility? So the Rebbe looked, <clears throat> looked at me, and then he said, these are only two questions. And I said, yes, and he gave a big smile, looked at both of us, and he said, then you're going to be a very happy couple. <laughs> and when the Rebbe said that, I felt like the whole room breathed a sigh of relief. I felt totally relaxed after that. <clears throat> the smile was a smile that lit up the room. And, um, and by the Rebbe saying that, by the way, that you're going to be a very happy couple, you know, we had our, after uh, 36 years, you know, that's what, that's, uh, rang true, rings true. Um, the Rebbe answered the first question first, that I asked the second question second, and he said in, in the realm of uh, <clears throat> the, compatibility, the compatibility question, he says, uh, we need to have a, a common goal. He says, my goal, said to me, is to strengthen my wife in Torah Her goal is to strengthen me in Torah And he said, uh, we should learn together. He suggested that at that, that time, because of my lack of background at the time, we should learn Kitzah uh, Shalom he said, and he said he believes that uh, it's in English, we can learn in English, we should learn together. And he said that when we take this common goal of fortifying each other, and we have a, a child, children, we'll be able to communicate and give our goal over to the child in terms and he says all the all the differences will become uh, dissipated in that common goal. Mrs. Rachel Fogelman and her husband have been shluchim in Worcester, Massachusetts since 1947. I would speak, I 
and I organized groups of not women that belonged to the yeshiva, but women that were outside of the yeshiva, outside of the fringe of our sphere. And I spoke, and they always asked me to do book reviews. I, I, um, and whenever I did a book review, no matter what the book, I always brought in something about Yiddishkeit and used the book review as a vehicle to speak about Torah and Yiddishkeit and, and, uh, and to draw them closer. We went in for Yechidus, and the Rebbe just greeted us so beautifully and so warmly. And my husband mentioned to the Rebbe that the following week, I was going to speak at the temple, and I was going to um, do a book review on The Chosen, Chaim Paltab. The Rebbe looked at me, and he looked at me in a way that only the Rebbe could look at someone with a deep perception, with a, a knowledgeable, otherworldly perception. And he looked and he said, they're going to listen to you. And then the Rebbe said, speak about Tara Samashvacha. Well, I was taken aback. I would love to speak about Taras and Shpacha, but this book, The Chosen, is a book about boys, about the relationship of a son and his father. And I thought, how am I going to bring that and, and speak about Taras and Shpacha? But the Rebbe said, speak about Taras and Shpacha. It was no question. That's what I had to do. When I came to the temple that, mor that morning that I had to speak, we met in a room downstairs that the temple people used for their small minyana. Someone had to say Kaddish or whatever. And um, the room soon filled up. It filled up so quickly that the chairman of the event, the chair lady, said, well, we'll go upstairs to the main sanctuary. Now, the main sanctuary in the temple is a very large, large room. It must hold about a thousand people. It's huge. Uh, and pretty soon, the room began to fill up and fill up more and more until there was standing room in the back and women were standing there. And so I thought, okay, I have to, I, I'm going to do this. And I started out with a book by Chaim Potok. I described the scene, what it meant, and then I mentioned, did you notice that there are no women in this book? Did you notice that the father's wife is not mentioned? The son's mother is not brought to, to, to light? And there's no relationship between men and women. The reason there's no relationship in this book because to touch upon it, would require a book in itself. The relationship between men and women in Jewish life is holy and precious, and it is based on Tara Samashvacha. And I went on from there, and I explained what Tara Samashvacha was, what it meant to us, and why it was a flaw in the book, and a flaw in most Jewish lives, because people are unaware of it. The audience was electrified. People called me up, women called me up, where is the mikvah that you spoke of? It was an old mikvah on the east side that was used by very few women. It was in such a decrepit old building. So 
but we knew we needed a new building, and this started a campaign for a new mikveh building. That was how it began, and ultimately, we built a mikveh here in Worcester. We have to realize that Kaifas premium in the strengths that the Abishta gives us is what the Rebbe sees in us all the time, and he strengthens us in such a way, and directs us in such a way that those Kaifas premium are brought to a fruition that they have positive and actual results in reality. That's a powerful story. Isn't that a great story? From a book event at the temple in Worcester, Massachusetts, it ends into a mikveh campaign. All right, so I want to wrap up. I want to wrap up our conversation um, and share the following, uh, just very, very quickly, few points. I mentioned this earlier because it was brought up about the power of the individual. Um, even as the Rebbe emphasized the collective family unit and the and the power of that and the importance of working on that um, cohesiveness within the family unit, the Rebbe also emphasized the importance of ensuring that we pay attention to the individual needs of every member of the family. There, is, there are two texts that I'm, we're not going to do inside, but I, I, I highly encourage you to read them on your own. It's text 10a and text 10b. And here the Rebbe is actually writing a letter, not about family, but about kibbutzim in Israel. And he writes it to um, the individ- an Israeli, Mr. Kaddish Luz, who was a politician and who served as the Minister of Agriculture in the 1950s in Israel. And the Rebbe was basically saying that the kibbutz is a great idea, but the challenge is that it might come at the, at, at the compromise of the individual. You might be so involved in the collective experience of what's needed from me for the collective space, but what about the individual? And so the Rebbe said a great way to frame um, the kibbutz movement is to say that here's a space where everyone works together on the collective needs, but then once those collective needs are met, you then have the time and space and energy to be an individual. And so the Rebbe was also, if we apply that to families, we would have the same type of advice. The beauty of a family is not that everyone loses or relinquishes their individuality to become part of the family, but it's a space where you feel safe, where you feel connected, where you feel, using our tree example before, you feel rooted. And so once you're rooted, now your branch can grow. Your branch can blossom. You can bear your own fruit. But knowing that you're part of this collective, it doesn't detract from the individual experience. It actually can only enhance it if it's done correctly. And so, to that point, I have to, I'll just read this quickly myself. Text number 11. This is um, a letter that the Rebbe wrote to children. I mean, which Jewish leader wrote letters to children? It's unbelievable. The Rebbe wrote a letter to be distributed around the world in 1987, February 1987. Oh, this time of year, 10, 15 Shvat. There you go. Also. Okay, so here's, here's the letter. To all Jewish children everywhere, God bless you all. Greeting and blessing. I am now presenting in greater detail my suggestion and urgent request to each of you, boy and girl, to turn your bedroom, your bed, your table, and so on into a miniature home of Torah, prayer, and good deeds. You can do this by using your personal space and furniture to study some Torah, recite a prayer, put money into its tzedakah box, excluding Shabbat and festivals, and the like daily. You should own your own Siddur prayer book and pray from it there. Your own chumash 
or other Torah book and study it there and keep your own tzedakah box there. In other words, in your room, on your little desk or table or nightstand. You should follow the Jewish custom of inscribing on the inside cover of your siddur and sacred books the Hebrew words, La Hashem Haaretz Umaloah, or its abbreviation, Laman Hevav, meaning the earth and all its contents belong to God with your name below it. If possible, write your name on your tzedakah box as well. And with this letter, the reason why I wanted to make sure to read this letter is because it reflects the fact that although the Rebbe, we, you know, for most of this class, we've been talking about the importance of family being on the same page together, the Rebbe sp- sent a letter to children saying you should have your own tzedakah box. The one in the kitchen is good for the whole family, but you should have your own. Nurturing the individual curiosity and spirituality of the child. Your own tzedakah box, your own siddur prayer book, your own chumash Torah study book, and, it, and you should write your name in it. You know, you write your name inside the book and, and put your name on, on your tzedakah box to personalize it, to have that very personal experience. And so, on that note, I want to do one more video. It is very short. It's the, it's the most precious video. Here you'll see the Rebbe speak to mothers and their children about lighting Shabbat candles. The Rebbe was so attentive to, to little girls that they should be lighting Shabbat candles at a very young age. This was a, a, a very unique and novel teaching of the Rebbe that young girls should light Shabbat candles. Typically, I don't know, when girls were older, bat mitzvah, whatever, they would light Shabbat candles. The Rebbe told my mother about my sister uh, when she had a meeting, and, and the Rebbe said, how old is your daughter, my sister? And, and my mother said, she's two. Start lighting. She should start lighting. <laughs> Typically, it was three, but the Rebbe said, and, and you'll see there's a few, few stories like that here as well.
My friends, that takes us to the end of the... Uh, isn't that cute? Everyone had their own push club. That was a box. That was something... I'm sorry. That was something that the Rebbe advocated very strongly. That uh, children should have their own Jewish items, their own personal space. So, in conclusion, today we explored the Rebbe's view on family. Um, ships passing through the night, people living their individual lives, getting together, you know, once in a while. That wasn't... The Rebbe's vision of what, or the, even the Jewish vision of what a family, a strong family is. As families, we should be working together on the same page, loving and supporting each other. That's what constitutes a strong and healthy, vibrant family unit. And as the Rebbe taught and advised people, the first step is to appreciate that as a value. Number one is to know that that's, that's the ideal. And then number two is then doing the work, taking the steps to work toward that and to heal and strengthen our relationships to create that vibrant family. We said that a powerful way to do that is to get together Friday night for Shabbat dinner, bring the family together. We also talked about the seven different mitzvah campaigns that the Rebbe launched uh, to take place in the home to strengthen the family. So some practical mitzvah resolutions um, based on our discussion. Number one, Friday nights, bring the family together, technology-free zone, just lock in with each other, get, not, not literally, but like connect with each other, or maybe connect with each other and really get to know each other on a deep level. How was your week? How was your day? Right? Have those real, real intimate conversations. That's number one. And number two, choose one of the seven mitzvah campaigns and, uh, and integrate it into your home. All right, next week. Next week is called Wholesome Health. We address physical illness. Patients, physicians, Professors from around the world reached out to the Rebbe for guidance and advice regarding physical health matters. We'll explore the Rebbe's responses, a treasure trove of guidance that reveals his holistic approach to health. Physical health, the Rebbe taught, is connected to emotional and spiritual well-being. So next week's class is going to be incredible. Looking forward to it. Join me then, same bad time, same bad channel. Thank you all for today, and uh, hope it resonated. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Thank you. You guys are so, oh yeah, thank you. Thank you for reminding me. And tomorrow night is my birthday. Everyone is invited. Everyone's invited to a very special birthday celebration. It's going to take place right here. Well, it's in the social hall tomorrow night, starting at 7.30 p.m. Good food, good drinks, a few l'chaims if you'd like to do that. And we also have, for the learning aspect, a special speaker from Israel who's coming in tomorrow to speak. The topic is, well, he's, he's American, but he lives in Israel. He's, he runs a yeshiva in Israel. The topic is, your six big Jewish questions answered. So that's tomorrow. Everyone's invited. Come join and celebrate. We'll eat a little, we'll drink a little, and we'll learn a little. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Is there a cost for that? No. No, it's open. Yeah. Absolutely. Seven, starting at 7.30. Let's go on for a little bit. I don't. Um, <laughs> once 9.15 comes, Yaakov's going to be like, sorry guys, party over. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Everyone's got to clear out now. <laughs> Great to see you guys. All right.
Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to come. My friend has awesome. surgery tomorrow, so if he's okay, great, and if he needs to stay Okay, hoping for happen. only positive outcomes and good health and good speedy recovery for your friend. Thank you. All right, pleasure. Thank you.